Fire Away tackles burning questions and hot topics in Canadian employment law, human resources, and dispute resolution. Hosted by Rudner Law, Fire Away is your go-to source for legal insight on the world of work. So whether you are an employee or an employer, a lawyer or an HR pro, let's ignite the conversation and get into today's episode. Okay, well, that was pretty cool. Hopefully everyone enjoyed our new intro video, or if you're listening to the podcast, our intro audio. Um, sneak peek, we have a brand new outro as well. So those are your, uh, your motivation to stick around to the end of the show today. For those of you guys who don't know me, my name is Stuart Rudner. I'm an employment lawyer and mediator, founder of Rudner Law, and I'll be hosting this episode of Fire Away, uh, which is season seven, episode one. Very excited to have our new intro, our new outro, and a returning guest. So today I'm going to be joined by Axis Geffen, who is the president of Axis Vero Incorporated. Axis has been on the show before. I've known Axis for many years. He is a well-seasoned, trained, and excellent investigator that I've worked with on many occasions. And he's back today talking about covering some of the more difficult investigations and things like assessing credibility whether you can really tell if someone's lying or not, and why you should show unconditional love for your interviewees. So we'll get into all of that. Uh, very excited about this. Axis, welcome back. Thank you. Uh, good to be back. <laughs> it's been a couple of seasons. Yeah, apparently it's been uh, four or five seasons, which, uh, as we keep saying, time flies. Um, it it, it does. It's great to have you back. And uh, I mean, look, we work together a lot. I, I've got a pretty good sense of how you approach these things. But uh, for a lot of people, a lot of clients I talk to and just people I talk to generally, the whole notion of assessing credibility um, just completely intimidates them. And the number of failed investigations I see where people just conclude that they can't conclude anything uh, is somewhat staggering. So I want to just get right into that. You know, in, in my ideal world, every case would have a series of emails or text messages which would show us exactly who said what and when but real life doesn't quite work that way so when you have issues of credibility how do you decide who's telling the truth well credibility is an interesting thing <laughs> um the important thing to remember when you're when you're talking about credibility is is number one what is it credibility really comes down to believability right and it, it's important to understand and discern that that doesn't necessarily mean that someone that's credible is necessarily truthful. Uh, they, they are not the same thing. Um, and, and certainly uh, over the years, different uh, reports that you've received, you'll, you'll note that when I make a, a comment after an interview, I will always say this person presents as. And that's very important, uh, very important terminology, but it's also very important to keep in mind. Um, just because a person presents a certain way when we actually interview them or when we see them doesn't mean that that's 100% who that person is every single day. Um, and, and likewise, when we're determining credibility, we have to keep in mind that a lot of the circumstances that are taking place in real time uh, can certainly affect them. Um, if I come across to you right now and I'm stuttering a lot and I'm, I'm nervous and I'm not really sure, what the viewership sees is they see somebody that's not necessarily really grounded. That doesn't necessarily mean that's true. Um, I could have, be having a very rough day. I could be having 
uh, a situation where the bank just went nuts, where I've got seven clients that just, uh, you know, the world's blown up, whatever it is. But now that I'm here and in front of the camera, um, you know, that can be a completely different thing. And it's the same thing when we interview others. Um, certainly, there are going to be lots of times where it's going to be very cut and dry. And, you know, a, a conversation is going to make sense. There's also going to be a lot of times where we're trying to assess that credibility. And it may take a number of visits, a number of interviews, or uh, a period of time to build that up. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll pick up on something that you were saying, you know, so we, we've all heard some of these myths about how you can tell when someone's lying, because as you said, they're stuttering, they're not looking you in the eyes, their face turns red, they're tapping their, their leg. Um, but is, is there any truth to any of that? Or otherwise, how do you figure it out? And, and everything with a grain of salt. <laughs> so, so yeah, there is some truth. Um, uh, it's funny because there's there's basically two schools of thought on body language. Uh, one is that it's absolutely not a thing, and uh, you know it's ridiculous. And then for those that actually have uh, been practiced in it, trained for many years, and actually uh, have experienced it and understand how to use it, uh, that's a different situation entirely. Um, I, I know that there are some people out there that will absolutely say I'm nuts because I say that body language definitely is a factor. But I take that with a grain of salt. Um, body language should not be your determining factor in, deten in, in saying whether or not somebody is telling the truth or somebody is telling a lie. Um, it is an important factor to keep in mind because our bodies do betray us in a lot of ways, uh, whether we like it or not. Um, but you have to be... A, a seasoned enough person to understand the difference. Um, if you sit in a room and we are side by side having a conversation, I'm not seeing uh, everything that's going on with you. Same same thing as right now. Uh, we're, we're face to face. We're having this conversation, but I don't know if you're tapping your leg. I don't know what you're doing. Um, you know, are, are you nervous as heck? Do you suddenly have something that's going on? I can't necessarily tell from this distance, right? But are there other indicators about our conversation that would actually give away certain traits? Yeah, there are. Um, you can definitely see if somebody is is under pressure, if somebody is um, if somebody is relaxed, if somebody has suddenly changed their behavior every time a certain question comes up or a certain topic comes up. Um, these are all little I'll things. Off for a second there, Axis. I want to pick up on that. I know we've we've had this discussion, and that to me really resonated. Um, because I, I, I'll, I'll sort of paraphrase what you've told me, and you can correct me when I get it wrong. Um, but essentially, what I understand you often do is kind of look for a baseline of look for someone's typical behavior, and then when you notice that there are differences, like all of a sudden they're looking you straight in the eye, or all of a sudden their legs tapping, that's when perhaps their bodies betraying them, but you can probably explain that better than I can. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, and that's the thing. And, uh, it's like, we've had the, the conversation before, uh, privately, um, people, people think that uh, if you take a lie detector, it's conclusive. Um, it's not, unfortunately, there is no device on the, on the planet and there is no person on the planet that can just guarantee every single time that the truth has been, born. um, and again, there, there are different reasons for that. Uh, but one of the big ones is, 
a person might not even realize that they're not telling the truth. Um, if they if they don't see it as a lie, then it's not one. Um, and and that's important to keep in mind. Uh, for example, uh, as I've used the example before at theft. If if somebody is stealing something from a company, they gen they generally know that they have taken something they're not supposed to have, and they've run away with it. Now, time theft, on the other hand, uh, hanging out at the water cooler, you know, not necessarily rushing back to your desk to get things done, and you you know you took a little longer. Some people would see that as an absolute clear cut thing. Other people don't recognize that. They go, well. You know, Joe gets smoke breaks. So what's the difference if it takes me an extra 10 minutes to get back to my desk after a walk? Right. Like, I mean, it is what it is. If you don't understand that what you've done is wrong and you don't actually perceive it as a lie, then you might fully think that you're telling the truth. Uh, likewise, uh, an employee that um, maybe has a, a piece of company equipment or, or a, something that they've created and they, they sit there and they go, Oh, no, no, I, I've never taken anything from the company. And you say, well, what about these these several files that, you know, are in your possession? Well, I made those. You did, but you worked for the company at the time and the company owns them. Yeah, but I made them. And you'll get into that. That can actually be a back and forth that goes quite a while because until they actually have the perception that that is a crime, that there's something has actually happened, um, you, you could be beating a dead horse for a long time, you know? Yeah, no, that's a, it's a great point about how they may not realize they did anything wrong. Uh, so I'd love to, if you can share an example, obviously no names, of a situation <laughs> where, someone, where someone's body did betray them and you were able to uh, at least reach the conclusion they were lying. I think uh, people would love, love to hear about that. Okay, well, well, again, I, I wouldn't say body language alone leads to that conclusion. Um, now, definitely, I, I, had a, a, I had a specific interview where, um, every time, basically in this interview, there was, uh, an allegation of a, of a romantic affair that wasn't supposed to have been allowed. Um, so in, in this situation, every time we discussed work, we discussed, uh, family life, we discussed movies, we discussed any of these other topics. The person was absolutely back in their chair. They were relaxed. It was no big deal. Every time any kind of inference came up to this person or to specific things we knew about, that person would uh, all of a sudden straighten themselves up and, you know, and they, they would struggle a little bit on the talking and they'd, uh, they'd become a little nervous. And you, you, you could physically see them becoming like a little hot under the collar. And, you know, they, is it okay if we take a break for a second? I just, I, I just need a glass of water. And that's fine. You know, it doesn't mean that that's all the indicator. There could be a lot of reasons, but over time, you know, if you're having a few hours of interview and it's only at those specific moments that things are happening, then that might be a good indicator that there's there's something there that's bothering that person. Um, and that's that's another thing is when when we interview somebody, we have to make sure that we're we're getting to the source of the information we want, um, and that's that's one of the things that becomes an issue depending on which methodology you're using when you actually uh, conduct an interview. So what do you mean by that when you say getting to the source of the information you want? All right. So for example, um, the read method, uh, very traditional, uh, old school way of doing it. It was a gold standard up till a few years ago. Uh, and, you know, 
police, uh, law enforcement, military, everybody was taught breed method. You know, I, I've certainly been laughed out of rooms uh, over the years because you don't do the breed method. Like, what's wrong with you? Um, a read method, just so you understand, is not an interviewing technique. It is an interrogation technique. And basically, uh, th there's a big difference between an interview and an interrogation. In an interrogation, you're basically, you're coming in saying, I already know the answers to my questions, and I'm going to figure out how to get you to admit to what I already know. Um, and the problem with that is, as obviously people have learned over time, is that you can get forced confessions and you can get inappropriate confessions and you can get people that just confess because they, they're breaking under pressure. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're telling the truth. E even if they're self-incriminating, they might not be telling the truth because you've interrogated them. You've basically forced them into that box. Uh, now, an interview, on the other hand, is it's really a discussion between the people trying to figure out answers to what's happened. They're trying to understand how something happened. Um, if I get brought into an interview where um, somebody is alleged of having inappropriate conduct that has cost the company a million dollars, if I come in and I go, now, why did you do this thing that cost a million dollars? Immediately, I've, I've already decided that they've spent that million dollars. I've already decided that they they're guilty of it. I just want to know now, answer my question, right? Which people will answer a million different ways depending on the circumstances. But if I come in and I say, okay, so, you know, there's improprieties improprieties have been suggested here. Um, you know, we, we have a, a, a number of different things that we have to go over. But, you know, before we get into all of that, is there anything that you think maybe hasn't gone right or you're not really being uh, heard? as to you know your side of, of of this story now i'm i'm not saying you're guilty i'm not saying you've done it all bad i'm not saying any of that stuff what i'm saying is let's have a, a, a discussion here and i'm going to give you an open forum to actually discuss your side of it and in an interview um the, it, it's very hard with a lot of clients because some clients they come in and they go that's it he's guilty that's all there is to it well then why are you conducting an investigation you know, an investigation is trying to determine whether or not somebody has whether or not somebody has done something inappropriate. Right. Well, that's uh, that's if, a conversation. You can't come in with have. that pre-diagnosed, pre right? Yeah. I mean, um, sorry to cut you off, but yeah, like you kind of you make the distinction between the interrogation and the interview. I'm always making the distinction between the prosecution and the investigation. Uh, it's the same point. You can't come in with the predetermined outcome, um, but. On that point, I was sort of jumping around a little bit here, but how do you deal with the witness or the respondent who is accused of something, but insists that you might you must be biased because you were hired by the company? So how do you deal with that to get them to actually talk to you? Well, uh, a couple of things. Number one, I'm not hired by the company. Yes, the company pays the bill. That's true. In my case, as you know, I make sure the fees are paid up front. I don't have a bias. It doesn't make a difference to me whether you're right or wrong, good or bad. Whatever the situation is, I just want an answer. I'm retained by the lawyer in almost every circumstance. Um, and, and I do that intentionally because I want to make sure as I'm as third party to the situation as possible. And my my entire goal is to get to the truth uh, at the end of the at the end of the room. 
it doesn't matter to me if the company's right or if the employee is right or you know if if something has has gone sideways in in all of that my job is not to figure out um who's most at fault my job is to figure out what exactly happened put it forward in a logic logical context and then you know from that determine what is the most reasonable outcome um you know of, of these actions so somebody could easily break the rules but it was reasonable that they broke the rules for example you're never allowed to go the, out that exit ever 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 no matter what but you did why because there was a raging fire behind you and it was the only possible exit you have a reasonable uh, answer for why you went out that door um likewise in a in a lot of situations uh, it's not cut and dry. It's not necessarily black and white. There's there's an awful lot of gray area in uh, in an investigation, and for that reason, we need to actually interview people and and determine what is in that spectrum and and you know what made sense. Right. Well, and, and that's a great point. And the point I often make to people is, you know, the standard for someone in your role is not perfection. And it's not even correctness because no one really knows what happened. Your job is to figure out, as you just put it, what is most likely or, you know, the civil standard of proof more likely than not. Um, so, and this is where I think I see a lot of investigations really miss the mark because they'll either say, well, it's an issue of credibility, so I can't make any kind of conclusion. Or they'll say, well, I've done my investigation and I find that the allegations are substantiated or they're not, period. Um, and I, I've obviously seen your reports. And I know that they are very detailed, but I guess um, one of the things that might be helpful for viewers is understanding what what should that look like? In other words, if there's a, an issue of credibility and you reach a finding one or the other, how, how do you document that in your report so that your conclusion is defensible if you're ever challenged? Right. So I, again, when it comes down to credibility, a lot of that is believability. So there, there's going to be several things. Part of it, we're going to look at the story itself. Does, does the story hold weight? Is, does it make sense? Is it something that's just completely doesn't make any sense at all? Um, another thing is going to be how, were, how did you react throughout the interview? Were you actually uh, presenting yourself in a positive tone? Were you completely, very obviously doing something out of character? All of these different factors are going to come into play, and the investigator always keeps notes. So at the end of the day, uh, I'm going to be noting the, the behavior and the actions and different things that have gone on. And throughout that, I'm going to keep, keep those notes. That's part of what's going to defend my position later when somebody says, well, why did you think that? Well, I, I thought that because boom, 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 boom. Oh, well, you know what? That does sound reasonable. Because at the end of the day, I'm... I'm trying to figure out the reasonable course of action taken by someone else, but I'm also presenting myself in the most reasonable light. Um, so, you know, I, I, if, if somebody comes in and they tell a very genuine story and they presented themselves very well and they come in and sometimes they even bring in uh, proof, uh, you know, they'll bring in emails or they'll bring in whatever and they'll say, here, look at it. And they'll go, you know what, That's, that all makes sense. Now, if I turn around and I go, but I don't believe you. Okay, <laughs> why? There's got to be a good reason. Right? You have to have something to back that up. 
So the uh, same same kind of deal, right? Uh, I'm definitely going to keep track of all of that. Uh, also, when it comes to evidence, I'm going to create my own supporting documents. Uh, if you mm -hmm. present evidence, I'm going to look for that email. I'm going to look for proof that it was actually real. Um, you know, it, it, it can't just be everything at face value. And it also raises another point, which uh, I mean, I know you, you and I are sort of uh, preaching to the choir here, but let's say that happens. Let's say that you, you interview the complainant and they say that such and such happened. You interview the respondent who says, I didn't do it in here. I've got the email, which proves it. And you look at it and it's pretty compelling. Uh, I find a lot of what I'll call amateur investigators, for lack of a better term, don't really believe that they can now go back to the complainant and confront them with that evidence. They kind of see the inve investigation in a linear fashion. You go from one party to the next, the next, the next, you never go backwards. Uh, I think I know the answer to this, but uh, assuming that it plays out this way, would you then go back to the complainant and, and say, well, you said that this happened, but based on the email I've seen, which I'm showing you, it doesn't look like that's possible. So would you confront them and give them a chance to explain that? It, yeah, it, and, and I, the same for the respondent. I mean, that's that's also it, it, it doesn't just go back one way. It, it is a two way, uh, a two way street. Uh, and likewise, uh, with certain witnesses, if a witness comes forward and a witness says, you know, I have this conclusive evidence, boom, 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 boom. Um, if all of a sudden later on we find that that's completely inaccurate, depending on the on the circumstances, we might go back and, and ask them for verification that this is, you know, where did this come from? And exactly what it, what was your purpose of this? Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's not like we're going to continue an argument and get, get, keep it going back and forth. If it has a reasonable conclusion, it will be concluded. Um, on the other hand, if it leaves a giant question mark, then it has to be addressed because otherwise we could be going down the wrong road presenting a false, false end. Right. So, you know, yeah. Yeah. No, and that makes sense. And as I said, this shouldn't be linear and you can, you're not, as you said, you're not going to go back and forth like a tennis match, but sometimes you have to go back and re-interview the same person multiple times. Um, I, I teased this in the intro, so I got to ask you about this. I know you, you commented to me about uh, offering unconditional love to your interviewees. So what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, again, uh, I, I believe that, I believe my comment was something along the lines of, uh, unconditional love is not really a thing. Uh, I, I think that was somewhere along the lines of the conversation, which uh, is going to get me a bunch of hate mail. But uh, the, the truth is, unconditional love is unconditional until something conditional happens and changes it. Um, likewise, when you're going to have an interview with somebody, um, you can approach it a number of ways. I choose to have an open dialogue with the other person, very calm, relaxed uh, interaction. I'm I'm not there to prove you did something wrong. Uh, as much as people think I am, that's not what I'm there for. I'm there to get to the bottom of what happened so that a reasonable decision can be made of how to how we need to proceed or deal with what happened. Um, if you happen to be guilty of something, it is what it is. You know it as well as I'm going to know it. Um, but I don't have to come in with a bias towards you or a hatred towards you or a you know, an anger towards you because how could you do this? It really doesn't affect me. And, you know, any any interviewer should realize that when you get in the room, whatever is alleged to have happened doesn't actually have anything to do with you. You're just coming in and having a conversation. So you should be able to have that open dialogue in an unbiased situation 
And you should be able to address it and, and basically come to common terms to get your answers. Uh, if you end up in a situation, however, where, um, you know, the other person is, is very aggressive or very abusive or um, in some cases actually break into violence in, in, in the course of, a, of an interview, you also don't have to stay in that situation and prolong. You can stop it, cut it dead, say, we need to regroup and do this another day or another way or with another investigator because maybe we just are not compatible. And that's part of that, the unconditional love part of it. If, if you cannot conduct yourself in a, in, in a way that is unbiased, if you cannot accept that this person might actually be right, then you're not the right person to be having that conversation. So get somebody else in there that can um, because otherwise you're just tainting your, your, your overall investigation and that's not going to be good for any. Yeah, absolutely not. So we will, uh, we'll leave it there for now, but before I take my turn to fire away or, or do my, my rant as we affectionately refer to it, um, access, how can people learn more about you and, and your firm or engage your services? Uh, well, I mean, I'm, I'm on social media. Um, I, I, I am on LinkedIn. Uh, certainly there's links that'll come up and I'm sure you'll share them. Um, but we have our website is www.axisvero.com. Um, we have an 800 number, 866-297-8376. It's A-X-S-Vero, V-E-R-O. Makes it really easy until you actually try to work out the numbers and then you just, your brain breaks. <laughs> um, but I mean, there, you were trying to remember the phone number. You were looking upwards. So does that mean you're lying? Yeah. Well, wow. oh, you're going right back to my high school teachings. Uh, yeah. No, that, that, that's a funny, funny thing that people do. They, they say, oh, if you're looking up, then you must be, you're reaching into the past or you're, you're creating a false thing. It's actually not. In my case, it's a bad habit that I have. Uh, and I, I do that regardless of whether or not I'm trying to think something. Um, All right. Well, we'll, we'll take your word or, or at least we'll double check the phone number. If it doesn't work, then we'll get back to you. So. There you go. All right. Well, I will. Uh, I guess now I'll take my turn to, to fire away. Okay, so we, we spent episode one of season seven talking with Axis Vero about investigations, interviewing witnesses, assessing credibility, reaching conclusions about what happened. And one of my pet peeves is when organizations handle every investigation internally by people who don't have the training, the qualifications, or the time to do them properly. And if I had a nickel for every investigation report I've seen that says that this was an issue of credibility, and therefore we can't reach a conclusion. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't be rich, but I'd have a lot of nickels, put it that way. Uh, it's a complete failure as an investigator, and yet I see it all the time. you got to remember that the purpose of the investigation is, determined, is to determine what is most likely to have happened, which includes assessing credibility. We talked a bit about that in Season 7, Episode 1. Uh, but it also includes explaining why you reached a conclusion that you did, and the, per the standard is not perfection, it's not even correctness, it's just reasonableness. You have to be able to reasonably justify justify why you reached the conclusion that you did. So, and if not, the, as an investigator, you're not doing your job. So I'm not one of those people who says every investigation has to be done by a lawyer. In fact, many of the investigations I oversee are done by 
folks like Axis who joined us on, and, on Fire Away, uh, who are trained investigators, but not necessarily lawyers. And I'm not always, also, I'm also not saying that every investigation has to be done externally. Sometimes internally works, works just fine. But too many companies assume that just because someone's in HR, they know how to do an investigation, or they can get their CEO or CFO or someone else in management to go and, and you know, as I've sometimes heard people say, go find out what happened and get back to me. That's not the role of any of those people unless they've been trained on how to do it. Um, and as Axis explained in season seven, episode one, there are ways to assess credibility and that's gotta be done. Judges do it every day, even when it is a quote unquote, he said, she said. So when you just get HR to do the investigation, you may save some money in the short term, but you really do expose the organization to potential liability. And frankly, it can just make you look really bad. So as I often say, don't be penny wise and pound foolish. Make sure your investigations are done properly and in a way that you can defend. That's all for uh, for this rent. That's a wrap for season seven, episode one of Fire Away. So I want to thank everyone for tuning in. And I want to thank Axis Geffen again as for returning to the show. And I suspect we may have you back again in the future. But thanks for some insightful comments today on, uh, on investigation generally. Appreciate you joining us. Just a reminder, the past episodes can be found on YouTube and on our website and archived on Facebook. If you like our page or subscribe to our YouTube channel, you'll get notifications when episodes are live. Also, just to let you know, our next episode will be on March 19th. And as always, thank you to Rob, Rebecca, and Mark for helping put the show together. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time. At Rudner Law, we want people to treat their employment relationships as legal relationships and make informed decisions rather than assumptions. Keep up to date on Canadian employment law issues by following us on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and TikTok, liking our Facebook page, subscribing to our YouTube channel, and signing up for our newsletter. As we always say, none of that replaces legal advice tailored to your specific circumstances. If you think you might need an employment lawyer, you probably do. So please don't hesitate to reach out to us.